So here, here we are at the end of um, our Bible Says What series. I think this is part five, we decided. Uh, we're going through some things in the book of Genesis that make us say, excuse me, what? Um, so much so that we spelled the word what wrong on purpose. Like that's kind of what this series has been about. And this morning, what I wanted to do is I wanted to share with you so many cool stories. I wanted to take you on a tour of the book of Genesis. And I wanted to look with you for theophanies, which is a word I taught you two weeks ago. Uh, times when God appeared to humans, and uh, that would be so cool. I also wanted to show you a really cool Christophany, which I was going to talk about that, and we were going to, we talked about that a little bit two weeks ago too. Uh, when the three visitors came to Abraham, and one of them was the Lord, and I wanted to talk about all that implied. And then I was going to go back to my message on Melchizedek. Oh, that's a good one. From several years ago, I, I was going to show you how he was a type of Christ, and I was going to, how he was pointing us to Jesus, and honestly, all of it was so cool. So, 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 so cool. <laughs> Don't you like how I'm using the past tense in this whole introduction? But instead of working away on my notes on a particular thing like I usually do, um, I was totally stuck. And I don't normally tell you about this process, but I was just, this is, I just, I wanted to tell you what, why, why we didn't, aren't quite doing exactly what we had talked about doing. I couldn't, and I still can't, find my Melchizedek message anywhere. Some of you are like, oh, thank you, Lord. <laughs> I have message notes from 2005. Like, I, I keep them. They are, they, I, they exist in, on my computer still. I, I have kept I, I kept, I kept stopping, I, I kept looking, I kept starting to look again. I, I was looking for these notes. I didn't want to start from scratch, and I knew I had some great, um, some, some study notes already done. I, I, I began, I tried to remember, like, where I would put them, and it was like this, oh, it was so frustrating, this process, because I'm usually pretty good at finding stuff. I keep my computer pretty organized. And then I remembered something that I have been telling all of you for weeks, and I prayed. <laughs> and I said, Jesus... I am trying to show the folks where you are in Genesis so that they'll understand your incredible plan, and so I need you to help me find my Melchizedek message. <laughs> Jesus loves me, and he loves you too, and sometimes he just laughs at me when I pray. And instead of finding my message that I was looking for for those notes that I needed, I felt a gentle nudge to consider something else. And I, I just really felt the Lord, not in an audible way, but just my mind kept drifting back to Genesis chapter 3. And I was like, no, Lord, no, I don't think you understand this series. <laughs> this message, this series is, are about cool things in Genesis that make us go, what? Like the Nephilim. Like we talked about, can we negotiate with God? Like we did all of these things. And I don't think Genesis 3 is really cool enough to fit the bill of this series. Sometimes I think things to Jesus, and then later on I think about it and think how dumb it was, but still. I was like, it's too simple, Lord. Genesis 3 is too simple. I want to preach on Melchizedek, and I need my notes. It needs to be worthy of this sermon series, and I won't leave you in suspense, church. Why don't we all just turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 3, where the Lord has sent us today. That might sound a little weird to you. If, if, like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not describing the audible voice of God, though I know he speaks sometimes like that. and I'm talking about... In this kind of conversation, in this prayer, as I'm praying, how God just like kept changing my attention here until I finally said, okay, I, I see what you're saying. The Lord was so kind to remind me that the title of this message has always been, Is Jesus in Genesis? And quite simply, the answer is yes. 
And if we don't see him in chapter 3, where we're going to read in just a moment, we will not be able to follow the thread of his plan to rescue us throughout the rest of Scripture. And it's so, that's why it's so important. And this passage has been spoken about so much, and honestly, just in my own weakness in humanity, I wondered, could I add anything to this narrative that you don't already know, that you didn't learn in Sunday school? Uh, but I'm reminded, thank you, Holy Spirit, for the reminder that that is not the point. This is the OG Bible says what passage. We need to know and hold what it says tight to our chest, knowing that it changed everything. So it's kind of a big deal, so let's turn and read Genesis 3 together. If you're new with us, you may not know this, uh, the YouVersion Bible app um, is a free app that you can download, and inside of that app, if you go to More and then Events, you can, uh, our service, all the scriptures for our service are already loaded in there for you, um, so you're welcome to follow along in that way, and you can even take notes in there and stuff too. So this is Genesis 3, and in the NIV, uh, this section is titled The Fall. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he asked, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished from him, him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. 
After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. As I read that passage, maybe for the umpteenth time, I had the privilege of growing up in the church. So uh, some of you didn't. So maybe this is the first time you've read this passage. But um, it's obviously a very famous one. I've read it many, many times. And even though I've read it so much, I could not help but feel sad. Even just now. It's heavy. Can you imagine? Have you ever experienced something even to a degree like this where you made a decision And then you felt the consequences of that decision and you realize that it will never be the same again in your life. Something has been changed forever and you can't undo what you've done. This is that, but for all of humanity, for all of time. Like, my notes literally say, ugh. (laughs) Like, there's just, it's, it's heavy. And what do you do when there is no coming back from something that you have done? You can't change it. It is what it is. It has altered the course of of your life. Is forward an option from that point? We've also been on the receiving end of this in our lives. In my life, as I'm sure in yours, I've been hurt and betrayed and ignored. And so when someone breaches a relationship like that for you, what is your instinct At your best, I I, I would assume, it's probably to withdraw to safety and to work with Jesus to forgive that person for hurting you and then to find a way to move on, but almost certainly without them. If they're they're not a, a safe place or if they continue to hurt and betray you, it's just common sense. Why would you not do that? You're not going to stand there and allow someone to hurt you again and again, right? That's that's the natural human reaction. But that is not at all what God did. Like, at all. His response to being betrayed, to being rebelled against, for his good gift um, to have been set aside so willingly, was to immediately find a path forward. So what happened in these 24 verses in Genesis 3 to change the course of history? It was so simple that it is actually kind of sobering. It was a simple moment, and it was simply just this. It was a lie willingly believed. Revelation chapter 20, verse 2. So like the other end of the Bible says, uh, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan. So if, if you're wondering who this serpent was, we do know from other parts of Scripture that we are sure this is Satan. This is the enemy of our souls, the enemy of God. And so that ancient serpent, who is the devil, Satan, did what he does. He lied. And scripture tells us that that's all he ever does. John 8, 44, Jesus says, He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. He lied because that's what he does and that's what he always will do until he is finally defeated, we're getting to that, and that lie was willingly believed, changed the course of history. He says, did God really say, like that's the opening line, and Eve responds 
to him. She engages with this deceiver, and she slightly alters what God said to Adam about the tree in, verse, in chapter 2, verse 17. But still, uh, she definitely confirms that she knows she is not to eat the fruit because it will lead to death, and she makes that clear. And then the lie comes, Did you will certainly not die, but your eyes will be open and you will be like God. And that deception awakened something in Eve. Maybe something she already wanted to hear. Who knows? We don't know the, we don't know the inner dialogue. And not just, of course, for Eve, but also for Adam, who, if you notice in the story, wasn't somewhere else in the garden, but was standing right there with her this whole time. And the deception awakened perhaps something along the lines of, don't be content here. God is trying to keep you from something even better. So she began to look at the fruit in a new way and, and justified her decision to eat it um, and, 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 and to also give it to her husband. She says, it was good for food. I mean, we need to eat. That's how I felt about the cupcake I ate last night. It was, it was good for food. I needed to eat. It was pleasing to the eye. I mean, why would God keep something so beautiful from them? He had given them all the other beautiful things. What was wrong with this beautiful thing? And it was desirable for gaining wisdom. Looking at her life, perhaps she was thinking, I know I can be more than I am right now. And here's a shortcut to it. But instead of producing God-like power, which was the lie, which was the deception, the knowledge that that transgression, that sin, that rebellion against what they had been instructed brought only a sense of human inadequacy. It brought fear. And it brought shame. And death did come. I mean, the serpent was right in one way. It didn't come immediately in that moment. But it did come to all, all of creation from that point. Did God really say, is the question. And the answer was quite simple. Yeah, he really did. And he gave you a choice and you made it. And he gave you free will and you used it to your own destruction instead of enjoying all that you were made for. And I hope in a way, like I don't mean, I don't mean to put this on you, but I hope that makes you feel a little bit sad because it is so sad. That's not even a good enough word for it, but that's, that, that's the story. And, and while it's, of course, tragic that they were removed from the perfect Garden of Eden so that they wouldn't have access to the Tree of Life, that wasn't the biggest problem, actually, that they faced. They couldn't have even imagined, but the devastating reality that they then now faced is that they lost access to the presence of God. So now we are all born outside of Eden, and we're all born outside of an intimate relationship with our Creator, the one who knit you together in your mother's womb. There is a distance between you that was never intended to be there. And interestingly here, like Adam and Eve are not themselves cursed for their sin, but the consequence was, on, was that the, the world was then cursed. And of course, the serpent is also cursed. And a curse, when you read that word, it doesn't mean that you're like pronouncing a hex on something or it's not magic in any way. It means to remove God's protection and favor and blessing. And so in, in this world, um, because of this curse, we have inherited uh, 
we, we now live under that curse because we have inherited now a broken world, a rebellious nature, and we are outside of the favor and presence of, of God. One decision. And listen, I don't even have this in my notes, but I want to say this because I, I grew up, like I said, I grew up hearing this story. And in my youth, in my silly, silly youth, I used to think, stupid Eve, I, could, I would have just been like, no, thank you. I, we, I'm sure some of us here could have done better. The truth of the matter is, we, we wouldn't have. We almost certainly wouldn't have. We can't point to her and say, if she wasn't so weak, the truth is, we probably all would have made a similar decision. This can be um, hard for us to comprehend because it, it is hard to believe in our own fallenness. That's, that was, <laughs> I say in my youth because the older I get, the more I realize how capable I am of doing dumb things and making poor choices. And it can be, though, when we look at our lives, difficult to believe in our own fallenness to understand the, our default position in relationship to our creator, that we are separated, that we are capable of, um, and we are actually currently acting on the same rebellion as Adam and Eve. And that can be hard to see in our own lives because we don't always like to think of ourselves in those kinds of terms. And as C.S. Lewis points out in his book, Mere Christianity, there is a reason that we may struggle like this, to try to wrap our heads around how, how it is that we can really see ourselves as fallen and broken. He says we want to keep up at least our image of the image of God. We want to keep up the masquerade even within our own hearts. Remarkably, the phenomenon of self-deception testifies that we human beings, even when we do evil, are incorrigibly sold on goodness. At some level of our being, we know that goodness is as plausible and original as God, and that in the history of the human race, goodness is older than sin. So his idea here, of course, is that there is a reason that we can look around the world and still see goodness. That we still look in the mirror and think, maybe I can just be a better person. I know there's goodness in there somewhere because we know somewhere in the core of our DNA that that was originally how we were created. Though now we live in a fallen and broken world because of our own choices, our fallenness, our rebellion. And so we wrestle. We wrestle between our desire to do more and be more and have more. And, and as it was pointed out here, to be more godlike. Because we were made for more. We are made in the image of God. But we wrestle between that and the nagging knowledge that we are not God. Though made in his image, we are not him by a long shot. We're broken and fallible and fallen. So here's, though, what is so stunning about Genesis 3. God immediately takes the initiative to reach out to us. This pattern in humanity sinning God seeking out sinners becomes then after this point the primary theme of the rest of the Bible if you can see it here I, I know you can see it throughout the rest of scripture and this 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 theme humanity sinning God going ahead and seeking out sinners this finds perfect expression when Jesus comes Jesus himself says to Zacchaeus 
that he came to seek and save the lost. The lost and fallen and broken people who are separated from the presence of God, who are separated from that relationship with their creator. That's the whole reason Jesus came. And it's just fulfilling the pattern that God has been doing all along to come and seek and save that which was lost. People who are far from God because of their sin have now been given uh, Jesus in order to save them and to find a way back into the presence of God. So in him, God once again, just like we read, comes and walks on earth in search of sinners. That all-knowing God in Genesis 3 asks Adam, where are you? Do you think, I mean, just to be clear, God wasn't like looking for Adam. He wasn't like, this garden is crazy. I don't know where to find him anywhere. You know, where, Adam, where did you go? That's not the point of the question. God, of course, knew where Adam was. The question is for Adam's benefit. To encourage Adam to face his sin, Adam, where are you? Why are you not freely walking about? You know I'm here. Where are you? And they did have to face it. They did have to face the choice that they'd made. And then the serpent is cursed and Adam and Eve receive punishment for their sin. The woman receives uh, as punishment pain in childbearing. There's an amen going up in the crowd at all. But it's interesting when you, uh, I read this in more than one place, that this word for pain and childbearing is kind of much broader than just the actual pain of delivering a child. It's actually closer to the anxiety that comes on a woman from conception to delivery and also raising this human being. That weight, that anxiety, that worry of knowing what she must go through and knowing that if she doesn't, that the human race is not going to survive. There is a heaviness on that for a woman. That's how deep that word is for her. And interestingly, uh, the second part of the punishment is this, that your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Oh, this one has been interpreted over and over. But that struggle is then going to characterize life from now on. And this is saying that, that the sinful nature of the woman, at her worst, will desire to control the man as Eve had done in the garden. And that the sinful nature of the man at his worst will try to dominate the woman. And now human life, especially married life, will frequently display this conflict or this struggle. And as one commentary summarized it, it says this, it will, it will be the challenge of godly people to remove this tension from a marriage and to live above the curse as far as possible. Marriage should not be a relationship characterized by manipulation and mastery. That is what sin will produce in a marriage. So this kind of desire and mastery are not ideals to live up to, but they will be there naturally. And so uh, just as like, that, so that's kind of a, a strange sentence to put in the middle of this that we don't have time to fully unpack, but I'll tell you that if you head to the New Testament and you, you talk about living a life in Christ and having a marriage relationship and, and living as men and women, in this broken, fallen world, but in Christ, who has broken the curse. You will see in Ephesians 5 that this is a, is a really helpful way to see what this looks like. 
what mutual submission looks like, what it looks like to lay down those natural instincts that fall in nature and to serve one another in a beautiful way. So if you're interested in that, that would be a great place to go next. Ephesians chapter 5, 21 to 32. And Adam receives struggle in a different way, the familiar way that their food was provided for them, assumingly that they, you know, they were in charge of and were stewarding the garden, but probably very easily tending to it day after day. That was going to be a memory. The ground was now cursed, and he would have to work hard to feed his family from that point on. And they would return to the dust, cut off from the tree of life, and their bodies would die. But it's not just Adam and Eve's punishment that we have here. It's the, it's the curse on the serpent. And, and here's what's really important, that this is where the door cracks open and the light begins to come into this desperate situation that they've created. And in fact, I said it to you in the opposite order, the light actually is given before Adam and Eve are given their punishments. In uh, 3.15, it says, uh, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This first judgment on sin is serious, but it is marked with hope. And that is something that recurs through, throughout Scripture as God's mercy finds a way to find us again and again and again. And there's a really interesting Hebrew word here that, that the word for crush and the word for strike are actually the same word. I thought that couldn't be possible because we, we translate them in English so differently. So I went to like my special software and I looked at the Hebrew, even though I don't speak Hebrew, obviously, and I looked at it, and sure enough, it is the exact same word in Hebrew for crush and strike, translated differently for us because of the context of how they're used, but the serpent and the woman's offspring will be in conflict. That's the point here, and that, that word that is translated crush or strike is defined as breaking and bruising and trying to overwhelm the other. But here's the difference. The serpent is crawling on the ground and can only bite at the heel of men because they walk upright. But men can crush the head of the serpent and kill it. The bite of a snake might, you know, contain poison or that kind of thing. That wasn't super common, actually, at the time uh, at that part of the world. But it's not immediately fatal. It's not necessarily incurable. But crushing the head is a death blow. So right here in Genesis 3, just a few breaths, just a few breaths after this rebellion, that first rebellion of mankind, God is preparing already a path forward that will put an end to the lies and the deception of the enemy and redeem for all of us what was lost in the garden. He is already getting ready to send Jesus for us. And Jesus is already ready to come. Since the children have flesh and blood, Jesus too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. And the one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning 
from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. These are some New Testament scriptures that point us to the fact that this is exactly what Jesus came to do. That the lies and deception that started in Genesis 3 uh, and hold power and created this curse and created this broken world for us and then we continue to rebel against the one who has created us has now been broken because Jesus has come to save us. You see, the, the offspring of the woman, and this is what, of course, was said to the serpent, the offspring of the woman can be traced right from Adam to Jesus. And if you don't believe me, go to Luke chapter 3. And Luke, the historian, writes for us in, the, in his uh, third chapter of his gospel account. He actually goes backwards. He goes, he goes from Jesus all the way back to Adam. And he says, Adam was the son of God, the first son of God. So we have a lineage that says right from the offspring of Eve, uh, right from the offspring of Eve, right to Jesus, there will come a time when the curse of sin will be broken. When the deception and the destruction that the serpent uh, created by his deception would be broken. Simply put, it's like this. We are so loved by our creator that we have a record. Starting right there, Luke chapter 3, and right here, right to Genesis 3, of the plan of our salvation being set in motion in the third chapter of scripture. That's how much we are seen and loved by God. So how are we ever going to overcome this fallen, rebellious, broken condition that we are in while living in a world cursed as a consequence of it? You might ask yourself. I mean, I've given you the answer, but let me just read it to you in Scripture. Romans chapter 5, Paul talking to the church in Rome. He does a beautiful job of this. Let me read uh, 12 and then 15 to 19. He said this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, That's literally what we just read in Genesis 3. And in this way, death came to all people because we all sinned, verse 15, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if many died by the trespass of the one man, Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. What is Paul saying here? He says it like six different times. He wants to make sure you're understanding what he is saying. He is saying that we had one decision that created all of this brokenness and fallenness. And in, in, so in one man, the one trespass, many were guilty. But now, because of one man and his obedience, and that would be Jesus, 
We are all invited to be made right and righteous and no longer live under the curse. What humanity had brought on itself through one man, Jesus came to reverse and to make right. So Jesus came in human form, living as fully man and fully God. And he came um, to become the perfect substitution for us. Because, like I said before, there is no way that we are going to live up to God's perfect standard on our own. We, we couldn't do it. We couldn't become our own sacrifice. So he was killed even though he was innocent. And through that sacrifice, he was able to fulfill what we read in Genesis 3 and crush the head of the serpent once and for all. For all the lying and deceiving and subsequent damage that Satan has done, there was a decisive battle that was won by Jesus. He, he brought victory over death because he didn't just die as a substitution for our sins so that we could be forgiven, but he rose again to bring victory over death once and for all. He still lives. Oh, we're, Easter's coming. Like, five more weeks, guys. Easter is coming. That's the story. Victory over death that was brought in the fall is what he brought to us. And then he turned around, and Jesus didn't say, good for me, I just want a victory. He turned around, and he made it so that his victory was for all of us instead of just for himself. He gave his victory to us so that when we put our trust in him, when we understand uh, as much as we can, what, what he has done and, and why he came for us and that he came to rescue us. And we receive his forgiveness and we receive his grace. We get a new start and we get access again to what was lost so sadly in Genesis 3. Access to the presence of God and eternal life. Friends, there is so much more I could say about this. This is just the starting point. There's, there's so much more to receive from him. There's so much more I could say. That's what we, you know, we don't try to say everything every Sunday. But when we surrender our lives to him, when we trust him, when we understand that story of salvation, that he has been working since the beginning to come and seek and save that what was lost. That he made a perfect plan to defeat the enemy, that liar who has been deceiving, and us who have chosen to believe the lie and, and uh, rebel against God's good plan for us. That he'd have made a way through Jesus to pay for that and to bring us back to him. And when we, when we receive him, when we surrender our lives to him, when we trust the boundaries that he has put in place for us, like in the garden, there is so much more in a life in Christ than a life trying to live without him. But for today, there's lots more, we, and we do. That's what we do on Sundays. That's what we do in our groups. That's what we do, all, all of the things. Today, I just want to say a yes and amen. Is Jesus in Genesis? Yes and amen. Jesus is in Genesis, right there in 315, ready to save our lives. Literally ready to save our lives. And my question for you this morning, like I told you, I already gave you the ending. My question is, have you met him? He knows, he knows you, but he would, he would love for you to get to know him. He has been interested in your life and your salvation since the day you were born. Since before you were born, 
He has seen you since Genesis chapter 3 and, and known that he would do anything to come and make it right. He didn't run away. He didn't say, well, if that's how they're going to be, I'm going to leave them th to their own devices. No, right immediately. That's what I would have done. But God says, no, right away I'm going to say, I'm going to find a way to them. I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm going to start a plan in motion right now to seek and save that what was lost here in Genesis 3. So I want to invite you to make that decision. Matt, you want to come with the team after you tell Lenore whatever you want to tell her? I want to invite you to know what it is to know Jesus. Some of you in this place um, are like, this is a lot, but I also hear there's something going on inside of me that I want to say yes to. And I want to say to you, that's what faith looks like. Taking a step without knowing every single answer and every single thing, but if God is calling you to make a decision to say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to receive what he has done for me. I, I want to figure that out. I want to walk my life in a new, I want to, what did we sing earlier? I want to build my life on something new. I, I'm so tired of trying to do this by myself. While I know that they're, 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 I do wrestle because I, I don't really want to believe I'm a bad person or anything like that, but the truth of the matter is I can't, I can't make up for the things that I've done in my life. And I, I need forgiveness and I need grace and I can't do it for myself and I'm ready to receive the one who is offering me that freely. And I will say to you, friends, some of you in this place, I don't, I don't know your story. I mean, you might have been going to church every single week for decades. But you're saying to yourself this morning, I don't know that Jesus. It makes me emotional because I grew up in church too. And I see so many people who are like, this is a, a culture. I don't, I don't know how to go to the next step. I don't... I just I feel so far from God and I don't even know if he's real, but I just keep coming because I think maybe I'll figure it out or it probably just feels like the right thing to do. And I just want to just tell you, Jesus loves you. And he wants so much more than your butt in this seat for 90 minutes on Sunday morning. Is that rude? I wasn't trying to be rude. I'm trying to be honest. <laughs> he wants, like, he has so much more for you. He wants to walk alongside you like we read of Genesis, like in the garden. He wants to be present in your life. He wants to speak to you and encourage you. He wants you to be free from the shame that you just carry. And you think, I can't go any further with God because I cannot deal with the shame in my life. I cannot deal with the things that I'm afraid of. I cannot deal with my past. And I'm saying to you, can I just give you hope? You can, and that's what he came for. Every lie that says that you are not worth it, that you're never going to be worth it. That enemy has been a liar since the beginning. So can I say to you, even if, even if church has been your culture, I'm really, really glad that it has been. I, I believe it has still blessed your life. But if you feel stuck, you're not even sure what you believe anymore. Can I tell you that this is also for you? I, I really... You can ask Aaron and Ethan all week. I've been like, Lord, what do you want? What do you, what do you want for us at the end of Genesis 3? What do you want me to say? Um, I'm going to just simply do this. I'm going to invite um, some of you 
the, uh, the other person who was doing announcements and stuff. That's Pastor Aaron. She's our assistant pastor. And the person you have not seen yet today, if you're new with us, is Pastor Ethan. He's gonna, he's on live stream. If you want to awkwardly look at him now, I'm sure he'd really appreciate that. Um, I'm going to invite Aaron and Ethan to come. And they're just going to stand on this front row. The worship team is going to lead us uh, because I just honestly feel like the, the lyrics of, of songs can really help us to pray when we don't know what to pray. They're going to come and stand here. And if you would like to give your life to Jesus today and say, I want to make a change in my life, come and pray with one of them. And uh, prayer team, if if this happens and they they get overwhelmed, <laughs> there's more people that need prayer, then come and help them and all the kinds of things. But I just wanted, I wanted to set this up. If you would like to make a decision to follow Jesus, come and just talk to them and they would just, they'll talk to you a little bit and pray with you and help you know what kind of what to do next. They're, both of them, I promise you, are not weird in any way. Well, in their own special ways, but not about this. And for those of you who are in this room and are saying, I want this to be so much more than my culture or my habit. I want to know Jesus in the way that he came to seek and save that what was lost. I want him to be alive in me the way that, um, the way that I hear in these songs that we've been singing. I want to know that if rain came and wind blew, that my house would be built on you. Like, I don't even know what that means in my life. But I want to recommit myself to, to becoming a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, the one who came and did all of this for me. And if that's you, I want to encourage you to take a step because honestly, you could absolutely pray these prayers where you're sitting online. You're going to interact with Caitlin this morning as she um, invites you to pray these prayers with her. Um, you can absolutely do it on your own in private. It doesn't have to be a public spectacle at all. But let me tell you something. There is something about saying, I am drawing a line in the sand. And I'm going to take a step of faith. And that step of faith is in a safe place where you are very loved and not judged. So if you feel judged already, you can just say, oh, there's the enemy. He's a liar. Shut up. That's allowed in this place. In a place that you are loved and not judged, you can come and take a minute and recommit your life to Jesus. Some of you have uh, given us some feedback that you feel nervous about the cameras. The cameras are on this side of the room. Um, so if you want to just make sure that you're not anywhere near that, anywhere on this, this side, if you want to come and just find a place to stand or kneel and just take a moment and say, I just needed to get out of my seat, take a step of faith and say, I recommit my life. This place, this space, so is that too. We're not focusing in on anybody, but just in case you're nervous about that. So let's stand together. I'm going to give the instructions one more time because sometimes it's, it's hard to hear those things when you feel like the Lord is speaking to you. And I want to just tell you, if you want to make a decision to follow Jesus for the first time, we have our pastors here, Ethan and Aaron, who would love to pray with you. And if you want to just take a minute and recommit your life to the Lord, come and find a place to pray. And just all you have to say to the Lord is, I, I want to know you for all that you have done for me, for all that you've called me to. I want to know you in the way that we sing these songs about you. And, and I want to go way beyond just like my habit of coming to church. I want to go deep into a relationship with you. And I want to commit myself again to that. Maybe, maybe like you did as a teenager or a child or a young adult. So if that's you, whether I don't, I don't care whether you're young or old, it doesn't matter. If the Lord is speaking to you this morning, this is a moment for you.
So Matt, would you lead us for a few moments and give us a chance to pray? Church, wherever you are and however you want to respond this morning, I just invite you that this is a sacred place. It's a special moment. Pray for others. Pray that the Holy Spirit would move and ask what he would want to do in your own heart as we worship together for a few moments.